The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Chainsaw 
every one of us is brought to the question, are we still in chains? And there comes that moment of truth when we finally are willing to fully deal with the question, can I enter into heaven as I am today? There comes time of great clarity. Everything in this culture, everything in the world is geared to prevent me from asking such questions. Every entertainment is offered. Every relationship is available. Every entertainment that I could ever desire on my cell phone or the internet, it's all available. The smorgasbord of the world is laid out before us. And at some point, we have to come to our our senses and say, am I saved? And unfortunately, that question is often answered very quickly without facing reality. I want to walk with you through several stories in the scripture. Let me give you a heads up before we begin. Luke is an exceptional writer. And he arranges stories and parables in such a way to make a very clear point. And so it's necessary often to read a whole portion of Luke and go back and look at how he connects one story with the next to determine what he is truly trying to say to us. He even goes beyond chapter headings Because, of course, when he wrote the book of Luke, none of those chapter headings were in place. He didn't put them there, neither the verses. So it requires a conscious effort on our part to look through what Luke has written and follow his stream of thought until finally we begin to understand what he's really trying to say. In Luke, the 17th chapter, he is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus is telling the story. And then in verse 30, he says, It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. So he's painting a picture here of of when Jesus comes. Don't try to scramble back to your house to grab your bug-out bag or to grab your car or some article of clothing. He's saying, no, greet the coming of Messiah with nothing but you, your heart. 
And then we're told by the Apostle Paul in Corinthians that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And this mortal body will put on immortality. This is not fanciful. This is reality of what is going to come to us. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you that on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. In other words, the husband is going to go, or the wife is going to go, and the partner is not going to go. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they ask? He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. He didn't answer the question they asked. Instead, he answered the question for what's going to happen to those who are left behind. They're going to be dead. They're going to be bodies. And the vultures will come and eat them. Now, in chapter 18, he begins continuing this theme that he started in chapter 17. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. I want to tell you, That is the prayer we as Christians need to be crying out before the throne of God. Because we have an adversary, the devil, who like a roaring lion is going about seeking whom he may devour. And we ask Jesus to grant us justice against this adversary, this enemy that keeps coming and tripping us up with his temptations, adding sorrow upon sorrow judgment upon judgment. For some time, verse 4, he refused, that is the ungodly judge. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now, this is not parable. This is direction from Jesus. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is this about? There is a desperate necessity for us to pray and to continue praying, to constantly pray, to cry out to God for justice against our adversary that we could be made righteous and be brought into the fullness of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus asks this terrifying question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, he's telling us we are going to have to pray 
against the enemy, against our adversary. And we're going to have to grow in faith and confidence that God has heard our prayer and not walk in unbelief. Now he begins to tell us another parable. These are directly connected one to the next. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Now he's identifying in a very direct way a very painful reality. that it's very easy for us to grow confident in our own righteousness. And when I ask the question, can you enter heaven as you are today, many of you quickly said, well, yes, of course I can. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. But does your life reflect that reality? Is that really true about you? Are you confident in your own standing with Jesus? Have you constantly been in prayer, crying out to Jesus for justice against this enemy Satan, that he would make you into a righteous man or a righteous woman and prepare you to enter the kingdom of heaven? Or have you been totally absorbed in the things of this world, in work, in play, in relationships, in entertainment, in hobbies? Have you been consumed by these things? And you're self-confident in your own righteousness. And so you feel like, hey, I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want to do here. Look, let me just cut to the bottom line, and then I'm going to walk with you through the scriptures. The bottom line is, we're going to have to be separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil, or we will not be taken into the kingdom of God. We will not enter heaven. We're going to have to leave our life behind. He said, Remember Lot's wife, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus says this over and over through the Gospels. Have you lost your life? Or is your life full of all kinds of good things? Your house, your car. Do you have a wonderful life? You're going to have to lose your life, or you will not enter heaven. And the most dangerous thing is for you to be confident of your own righteousness while you still continue to partake in the things of darkness. And this is the common characteristic of American Christians. This is why I say the church is apostate. It's apostate because... It is comfortable sitting down at the devil's table and feasting with the witch of Endor and still claiming, oh, I'm, I'm the Lord's anointed. I'm, I'm good to go. No, you're not. Not if you haven't lost your life. 
Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home. And the NIV translate dikasune as justified before God, but that's not the proper translation. It should be this man, rather than the other, went home rendered righteous before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, as we see, Luke is beginning to weave a gospel net for us. And he's identifying two ways to pray. Which way most likely fits how you pray? Are you crying out to God against your adversary? The tax collector said, I am my own adversary. So we have the devil as an adversary, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But then we have to recognize that we are also our worst adversary. And there is absolutely going to be no hope for us to enter into eternal life until we're willing to look honestly at who we are in Jesus and who we are in ourself. This is the web he's beginning to weave, the the net he's beginning to weave. Now, look where he goes from here. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him, and he said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. The the context of what he's saying is that the publican is a little child, and that the Pharisee, The Pharisee refuses to become like a little child, and so he will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. But the child, the tax collector, he will enter the kingdom of God. He has been made righteous. He has been justified. He has been rendered righteous. That's what the word literally means in the Greek. Dikasune, that's the root, to be rendered, to be made righteous. 
We'll continue. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This really is the question. What must you do to enter eternal life? And the answer that has been given so far in this net that is being created is that first you must lose your life. You must let faith grow in your heart. And you must constantly cry out to God against your adversary, which is the world, the flesh, the devil, and you. And come into a place of such humility before God and such brokenness before God. Now look, I am crying out daily, constantly. I did this morning. I am crying out against the world, the flesh, and the devil that comes with such powerful authority to grab to grab my heart, to grip me. And I am likewise crying out to God against myself because I'm also the adversary. I cannot be confident in my own righteousness. And and Brother Luke is trying to say to us, cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's saying everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and who who humbles himself will be exalted. And so they bring babies to Jesus, and he says, except you become like one of these little children, not like that Pharisee, but like the publican, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. And now Luke comes with this parable that is also given in Matthew and Mark. And he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The very way he asks the question exposes that he is guilty before God. He is looking for the possibility of receiving an inheritance He does not recognize that he is a lawbreaker. He doesn't recognize his true heart condition. (coughs) Pardon me. He doesn't recognize who he is. And this is the great tragedy. This is the great tragedy that we face today in our own hearts and in the American church. We don't recognize who we have become. Lukewarm, blind, naked, miserable, wretched, poor. We don't recognize our true condition before God. And so we don't bother to pray except as the Pharisee prays. Thanking God for our family and thanking God for all of his blessings and thanking God and praising him and saying, I love you, Jesus. And then off we go to our worldly pursuits. Total hypocrites. I hear no weeping. I hear no travail and groaning in the church today. Do you? Do you hear it in your own life and your own heart? 
Do you groan and travail before God in your prayer closet? Or do you even have a prayer closet? Or do you go to your prayers and just bless me, bless my family, bless this person, convert that one, turn that one back to you, Jesus, do this, do that. And we hit Jesus with our to-do list. Where is the Where's the publican's prayer? Can you enter heaven today as you are? Can you enter heaven? If you just quickly answer that question, you are very much the Pharisee. And if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you're going to have to become like a little child. I'm very concerned. I'm desperately concerned about my own heart and about your heart. There's no room for arrogance or pride before Jesus. The wrath of God, according to Romans, the first chapter, is being stored up in heaven against us. I don't want the wrath of God to be released upon you or me. I desperately need his mercy. And may I be very frank with you. Salvation begins in your heart by humbling your heart before God and crying out for justice against the adversaries that would steal us away from Jesus, including ourselves. comes with a a great humbling of our hearts before him. If you think you're good to go, you have already, you have already missed it. So this man comes asking, what must I do to inherit? No, the kingdom of God is not something we inherit because we're in the family line. His question should have been, what must I do to be saved from my wicked life? But, of course, he didn't think he had a wicked life. He thought he was good to go. I've heard Christians say this. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. And yet I see them walking in arrogance and sin against Almighty God. I see them powerless before the lost and the dying. We're going to have to become a great deal more humble before Almighty God if we're going to enter into his kingdom. So Jesus answers his question by saying, why do you call me good? Well, what's he mean? Well, mister, you think you're good. You think you're good to go. And you're just asking for a little inheritance assurance that, okay, when you die, you're going to receive the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to have to strip off that arrogance and let this man see that, in fact, he is a commandment breaker, the first commandment. The 10th commandment, 
he's going to have to see that he is a commandment breaker. Now, let me be very clear with you, in case you have the question. This is for the the giraffes. You cannot be saved by keeping the commandments of God. Righteousness has come to us from another source, but that will require dying and being born from above, being born again. So no, you can't be saved by works. It's going to take a very different kind of righteousness for you to be saved. And then he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And he quickly answers, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Hey, I'm good to go. I'm saved. I just want to make sure that my name's on the list for the inheritance so that when the will is read, I receive what I'm due. Well, he's due hell. He's not due heaven, but he doesn't know that. And the message to the Laodicea church says, Laodicea is due to be vomited out of Jesus' mouth. They are not due for heaven. They are due for hell. And yet they think they are righteous. Drives me crazy. And I am fighting against me also. I'm saying, Lord, I'm crying out for you for justice against me. Because I too am far too comfortable. I'm sorry, I have to be honest with you. The most painful question I can ask. What must you do to enter eternal life? And can you, like you are now, enter eternal life? Well, I'm not committing any known sin. Will that get you eternal life? No, it will not get you eternal life. This man had no known sin in his life. But Jesus came and uncovered the dry rot in his soul. And this is what we have to cry out against our enemy. We have to cry out and ask Jesus to show us our true condition before him. We have to cry out that the Lord God of heaven would come and quicken our minds and our hearts and our spirits so that we could see the wickedness of the Pharisee in us. Well, Jesus answers, you still lack one thing. And by the way, in another place in the scripture, it says, and Jesus loved this man. I want you to hear that today. I'm not condemning you. Your own heart will condemn you. I want you to hear that Jesus loves you. 
and that heaven does not come by works or by the law. It comes by mercy. It comes by grace. As the Lord God of heaven makes us righteous. It is a divine work, a supernatural work, that he comes and does in us. But until we recognize that it must be done, and that we must die to ourself. We have not a chance of going to heaven. We can be very religious. This Pharisee was very religious. This rich young ruler is very religious. Keeps all the commandments that he knows. But he's hellbound. Jesus says to him, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Well, he didn't ask Peter to sell his house. He just said, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter simply responded, yes, I'm coming. And he followed Jesus. So it's not as though every man has to liquidate everything they have and and then follow Jesus. The question is, what stands between you and Jesus? What holds you back? What prevents you from travailing before the Lord and admitting your condition before a holy and righteous God? What is it that causes you to sense, I have assurance, I'm on my way to heaven, while you have no power of the Holy Spirit. You have no fruit being born in your life. You love the things of the world. You love the television. You love the movies. You love the the YouTubes. You love the social life. You love the gaming. You love the video games. Really? And you think you're ready for heaven? Jesus asked this man to come and be his disciple. He's saying the same to you today. Come and follow me. Don't let anything stand in the way, but get serious about your prayer life. You see, how can you pray for revival until you've been totally revived and walking righteous before a holy God and the legalism is broken and the arrogance is removed? What chance do you have? It says when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Another translation, he was a man who owned a great deal of property. He had his life here. He had his satisfaction here. He had his joy on the earth. He had his joy in being rich and powerful. Jesus looked at him and said, 
how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's not talking here about just money. He's talking here about the man or the woman who has a rich life, a rich self-life. And as I read for you yesterday in Romans, the eighth chapter, if we don't leave that self-life, we cannot be saved. Let me go to it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. If you live according, this is not speaking about an occasional act. This is talking about a whole lifestyle. If you live according to the sinful nature, if you live day by day, according to your own desires, according to what you want, if you live day by day feasting on the things of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you feast on your beautiful car, your house, your wife, your husband, your children, your entertainment, your alcohol, your drugs, your fornication, your pornography. If you feast on the things of darkness, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Not if you put to death the misdeeds of the body by the law, but by the Spirit. He's talking about something that goes on inside of your soul where you make the decision that you are no longer going to walk in obedience even to your own heart. I have through the years loved science fiction. And normally I'm not tempted by it, and I don't read it. But I had to go to Springfield for an errand yesterday. When I finished that errand, I thought, you know what? I'll go over to the Springfield Barnes & Noble and I'll have a coffee. And then in the back of my mind, I said, you know what? It wouldn't hurt to check out my favorite author. And as soon as I said that, I was in trouble. And I quickly changed lanes and said, I'm going home and I'm going to get with Jesus. I knew that if I read that science fiction, fantasy, that the Holy Spirit would be grieved. Now, this is not legalism. This is knowing in the Spirit that I was making a decision not to feed on lies. Novel means lie. 
Even if Christians write it, a novel is a lie. I knew that if I feasted on a lie, that when I came home to pray, the Holy Spirit would not be present. I would have grieved him away from my spirit. And so I joyfully came home, and I had a wonderful evening with the Lord. You understand what I'm saying to you today? If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Now the question is, Are you willing to take a position against yourself and cry out to the Lord to make you fully aware of your true condition before a holy and righteous God and not say to yourself, well, I've I've been good. I've done what I thought I should do. And yet you're without power. Revival is not going to come to you or to America until there are men and women who are willing to lay their lives down, to give up their lives, their dreams, their ambitions, their desires, and seek the the desires of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Will the Lord find faith when he comes on the earth? Will he find a people who have left behind the things of the world, the flesh, and themselves who will cry out without stopping? Who will intercede? Who will tarry before God? Who will tremble before Almighty God? Conviction will not just come to you out of the blue sky. Conviction comes as we begin to think about what we daily do, what we daily feast on, what we daily bring into our heart and into our mind and into our our flesh. The Lord said to me, Ray, you're eating too much. Fast. Well, I had to confess he was right. I was enjoying my food too much. It was my place of hiding. It was my solace. It was my reward. It was my comfort. So he said, stop fast. He doesn't want me to live to eat. He wants me to eat in order to live and serve him. Oh, but I have certain foods that are my very favorite foods. I love steak and potatoes. I love omelets. I love sweets. The Lord just said you're 
you're eating too much. It's becoming a source of comfort to you. We have to deal with these issues. Listen to what happens. The disciples then ask, who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Can I tell you honestly, it is impossible for you to be saved. It's impossible for me to be saved. There has to be an intervention from heaven for you or for me to be saved. And that intervention in heaven, that intervention from heaven will only come by crying out before the throne of God against our enemies, our adversaries. And part of that is you're crying out before God against yourself, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You're going to have to cry out against the things of darkness the things that bind you, the things that rip away from you what is godly. Now, some of you have long-term rituals and habits that you don't even think about. You just do them. Hey, Wednesday, we're going to go do this. Tuesday, we're going to do this. Favorite places to go and things to do. All of those have to be pulled back and carefully examined and ask, is this one of my adversaries, Lord, that causes me to not respond to your Holy Spirit? That causes me to be hard of heart? That causes me to be unconscious? What about it? Can you enter heaven as you are today? Be careful how you answer. We have not even begun. I have not even begun to enter the depths with Jesus that he is calling me to and that he's calling you to. It is time to fast and to cry out to the Lord. One dear person on the West Coast has said they want to move to Washington, D.C., to be a part of the National Prayer Chapel so that they can join with others who are constantly praying and crying out to God. It will require the letting go of a whole 
lifetime of friends and family. My heart is cheered by such conviction. Now, you don't have to come to the National Prayer Chapel to pray. But you're going to have to find people who will pray and not pray for Mary's toe or Bob's arm or some other thing, but who will honestly come and pray against the adversary, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and their own heart who will pray for the church. Do whatever you have to do to get with that group of people. Some of you meet together and you pray, but your prayers really aren't answered. But you pray because there's human energy involved with other people. But your prayer isn't answered. Because you're a part of a church that teaches that you will never be able to leave your sin. And that's comfortable for you. If you believe you can never leave your sin, you have a huge adversary in your life that will take you to hell. He is deceiving you. There is a place with Jesus that we must enter. And in this modern day, we have no idea how to even begin except get on your face before God and start to pray and cry out to God. Fast and pray. Seek his face. Instead of going to some pleasant place that you would enjoy, go to the prayer closet. And cry out to God. Cause your family and friends to say, We never see you. What are you doing? I'm praying. I've got to get to Jesus. Do you understand? You are not going to be saved if you don't get to Jesus and deal with these issues in your heart. You're not going to go to heaven. You're lazy. It's like that old song. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. That's what your life is. Rowing your boat gently down the wonderful stream that's taking you to wonderful places and entertainment and things that please you. No, heaven is upstream, not downstream. Salvation is upstream, not downstream. You're going to have to get busy on the oars of prayer and cry out to God day and night. And he will answer you. Jesus said he would answer. Jesus then begins to talk about we're going to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They didn't know what he was talking about. Why? 
because they hadn't learned how to cry out to God yet. They hadn't learned how to pray. Even in the presence of Jesus, they were just going along to get along, even though their heart loved Jesus. But I tell you what, the crucifixion changed all that. And when you're crucified, it'll change all of that too. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're going to continue this tomorrow. Invite a friend to listen. Share the YouTube video. We're losing subscribers quickly because they don't like this content. If you haven't subscribed, then please subscribe quickly. And write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Thank you, those of you who are stepping in. This month is quickly flying by, and we need to cover the cost for radio. So please, one dear person, amazing gift. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. I love you. Please take to heart what I've shared today. Don't blow it off. Pay attention. Heads up. Get in the prayer closet. I'll talk to you soon.